listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast, and I'm your host, Natalie Freeman. Today, we're so thrilled to welcome Jonathan Wells to read from his new memoir, The Skinny, and after that, he'll be in conversation with David St. John. Before I introduce them, I wanted to remind you that Skylight Books is open for in-store browsing, and you can always shop online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Jonathan Wells has published three poetry collections with four-way books, Debris, Train, Dance, and The Man with Many Pens. His poems have appeared in The New Yorker, Plowshares, Agni, the Academy of American Poets Poem A Day series, and many other journals. The Skinny is his first book of prose. David St. John is the author of 12 collections of poetry, including Study for the World's Body, nominated for the National Book Award, most recently, The Last Troubadour, New and Selected Poems. He is also the co-editor of American Hybrid, a Norton Anthology of New Poetry. He teaches in the PhD program in creative writing and literature at the University of Southern California. Welcome, John David. So nice to have you here. Thank you so much, Natalie. It's really a great pleasure to be able to have this conversation with my friend and a writer I admire so enormously, John Wells. John, before I ask you to read a section from The Skinny, I'd like to read one of the pre-publication reviews from Airmail to sort of give a sense to the listeners about the book. Memoirs of growing up fat are far more common than accounts of growing up very thin. But that is not the only reason the skinny stands out. Jonathan Wells, in telling about the challenges he faced growing up small, at age 14, he weighed only 67 pounds. And coping with a disbelieving dad, cruel teachers, and an unceasing demand to be more masculine, has produced a poetic remembrance of pain and forgiveness that rivals Tobias Wolf's This Boy's Life in its power to enthrall. John, would you mind reading a section from The Skinny? Thank you, David. Yeah, no, I would, I would love to. I'm going to read a part at the beginning of the book uh, where my father has been aware Uh, become aware of bullying that happened at school and has decided to take my physique under his command. And 
originally, initially that's, that program started with diets and exercises. And when that wasn't successful, he decided he needed to consult doctors. So he first sent me to an orthodontist to make a prediction about what my size would be. And um, when he got the word that I was going to be six foot two and weigh 175 pounds, he was skeptical and he sent me to the pediatrician, uh, Dr. Diamond. So that's the place I'm gonna start. A week later, mom took me to Dr. Diamond, my pediatrician whose office was in Chappaqua on the ground floor of an old Victorian house where the floorboards squeaked. He was as interested in his patients' young minds as he was in their bodies and always asked what books we were reading and what we thought about them. His full head of dull white hair and a bright look in his blue eyes suggested he had an almost mystical wisdom to impart. My mother explained why we were there and Dr. Brewer's calculation. He listened and didn't say anything. He asked me to take my shirt off and felt the bones in my forearm carefully and knowingly as if there might be deep meaning inside them. Let's see what you weigh first, he said. I stepped on the scale and saw the silver marker just nudge past the 50 pound mark. He looked at the records of my previous visit. About the same as before, Jean, he said to my mother. There is some science to support what your Dr. Brewer said, but not much. He paused and smiled. So John, how much would you like to weigh? How tall would you like to be? He asked, putting the emphasis on you as if I had a say in the matter. The idea that I might have my own vision for what I wanted my weight to be had never occurred to me before. I didn't know what the right answer was or if there even was one. Well, I guess the same size as my parents, I said, and one day I'd like to be over a hundred pounds, I mumbled, as if I were grasping for a number that would make them pleased with me and their ideas for me were so true to me that they were almost my own. But as soon as I said the words a hundred pounds, the shapes of the figures lit up in my mind in bright fluorescent lights that announced something improbable, almost surreal, like the year 2000. I repeated it. I wanted to weigh a hundred pounds. It still didn't feel right, but it felt like an oath I could believe in. Just the thought of it made me proud of myself, although I didn't weigh an ounce more. Their approving looks confirmed that it was the right number. That's a good answer, John. You be what you're going to be. Stop worrying about him, Jean. He'll be fine, he said, and looked at my mother reproachfully. But after that burst of enthusiasm, my father's exercise program, the chocolate milkshakes, and the constant exhortations to eat just a little bit more, only two bites, how about three, with an extra one for Grandma Ida, took their toll. Rather than making me feel that I was on the verge of a new expansive future, the constant command to eat gave me the impression that I was falling farther behind and my situation was deteriorating. This increased my doubts about the enterprise and made his vision for me seem unlikely, unachievable. I wanted to ask him why he wouldn't let me reach my natural weight by myself. Why did I have to try so hard to do something that I had only a passing interest in? Why did he need to impose it on me? 
Many nights when I lay awake in bed on the top bunk thinking about these questions, I imagined myself without a distinct body. I could feel my fingers and my toes, but I had no sense of my overall size. In the pitch black, I could stretch any part of my body at will, or instead of being my usual shape, I could be no shape, a protoplasm, and this amorphous state felt better to me. It contained no basis for comparison, no hierarchy, no trace of mockery or intimidation. In this formlessness, my fears about myself became solvable and bearable. The darkness offered a refuge from criticism, and I lay awake reveling in it. That's Thank you, John. That's so powerful and so beautiful. And I'd like to, I have some questions, but before I ask, I, I'd like to read one other of the, of the pre-publication reviews, because I think it's quite fabulous. It's from Vogue magazine by Chloe Shama. And she says, this touching memoir of growing up in suburban New York in the 70s and 80s reads a bit like outtakes from Mad Men if told from the perspective of a teenager with a more nuanced point of view on the overwhelming tropes of masculinity that dominated that era. The young Jonathan Wells was particularly poised to elucidate that perspective. As a precocious and literary 14-year-old, he weighed only 67 pounds and was subjected to relentless scrutiny, most of all from his own father because of it. Relentless exercise in diet regimens, coerced trips to prostitutes, overseas boarding schools, none of it satisfied the elusive criteria of masculinity perpetuated by his family and society even as cultural norms began to shift around him and his own family became less formal. This coming of age chronicle is lushly rendered and touchingly intimate, a critique that is loving and unsparing at the same time. And before I ask my first question, I have to read the extraordinary epigraph to the book from St. Augustine, because we can talk about that as well. And Augustine says, by its own weight, a body inclines towards its own place. Weight does not always tend towards the lowest place, but to its own place. A stone falls, but fire rises. They move according to their own weights. They seek their own places. Oil poured into water rises to the surface. Water poured on oil sinks below the oil. Things out of place are restless. They find their places and they rest. My love is my weight. 
wherever I am moved, I am moved there by love. John, would you talk about this sense of the context of your family, the context of the cultural norms that Chloe Shama mentions, and what it meant to try to find your place of yourself? Well, <clears throat> um, really, my father was the embodiment of those values and ref a reflection of the ideas of masculinity of the time. He was handsome, successful, brash, a ladies' man, popular, a salesman with great flourish. And whatever struggle he'd gone through was simply invisible to me. He, uh, and, you know, from the first or second paragraph in the book, I emulated him or sought to. So whatever he thought I should do to be like him um, became an automatic uh, dictum that there was seemed no point in arguing with. Um, and um, I really wasn't aware beyond him as a younger kid what the tropes of masculinity were except through him. Um, that's what I, you know, th that would be my sense. Of course, as I got older, I had a broader sense, but until then, he was it. He, he defined masculinity for me. And what was, John, what was your mother's role in, in the constellation of the family as this began to emerge and evolve? Well, she was uh, very much um, hands-on in the day-to-day -day sense when he started to be concerned about me and my physique. He put her in charge of day-to-day -day management, uh, scheduling appointments, ferrying me to doctor's offices um, and so on. But once things went beyond a certain stage, he cut her out. And, um, and, and up until I was 12 or 13, I was very close to her. And um, there was always this sort of tension between them over me. I was the eldest of, of four. And um, I was her son, her firstborn, and it made him jealous. And I think a lot of what happens in this book has to do with that unspoken, unstated jealousy of his displacement. And how did this rivalry between them begin to play out as you really moved through adolescence and he began to take even greater command? Well, I think that um, his coming to the conclusion that because I wasn't interested in his program for me of becoming big and strong, that I must be gay um, and realizing to fend that off that he had to do something about it was where it really separated me from my mother because he took me to, a, he wanted to send me to a prostitute 
And the condition of doing that for me was that she never, that I never tell her. And so that, that secret was the, the ultimate cleaver between us. And although uh, I never did tell her, I told everyone else and I told, and I told people, and it only took a few years for it to get back to her because, you know, so I accepted the assignment as it were, but I also struggled against it and, and subverted it. And what effect did this have on your experience of, of intimacy trying to create intimacy outside the family since there were these kinds of, of constrictions there? Um, I, I think that, you know, f starting with the appropriation of my body and finding things that were wrong and constantly fixing things there was, and then go, being sent to a, a prostitute uh, just after my 14th birthday, normal intimacy was simply improbable. It, it just, um, and I, I see the narrative arc of the book as trying to, to recreate it or trying to find it again. And coming back to St. Augustine quote, um, that intimacy is finding my own weight and overcoming the restlessness and anxiety where I am out of weight and my, or my weight is wrong. And so when Augustine says, my weight is my love, that's how I really felt it in myself. When I reached a hundred pounds, which is the goal I set for myself, I was able then to achieve a, a real intimacy with a, with a real person. And, but up until that point, which is toward the end of the book, there were many different ways in which I, I was, uh, where my weight was wrong. And I experienced the anxiety, or as Augustine says, the restlessness that goes with that. One of the wonderful things that I, I love about the St. Augustine is that we use weight in terms of colloquialisms and saying, well, that carried a lot of weight behind it, or it was a weighty decision. And one of the things that I, I love about the title of your memoir is that in some ways by contrast, when we say the skinny, to get the skinny on something, we're really looking for the truth, the kinds of facts that we can't get anywhere else. And I think that your pursuit of your own truth, your own self, and the balance and proper weight of your sensibility is one of the things that is so deftly and brilliantly really elucidated that in ways that the reader experiences the oscillations through your friendships with other young men, through the beginnings of relationships as well. 
in, you know, would you say something about that? Then I have a follow-up question. Um, I, I, I just, as you're saying that, I'm thinking something that I thought about in the book, which is a paradox that when you can be heavy and not be your weight, your right weight, you can, but when you reach your true weight, there is a kind of lightness because you are free of restlessness and you're free of anxiety. You have settled in yourself, you've recognized your nature and your, or your place in nature. And um, so I wanted to try in the book to render those different states as physically and as, as uh, tangibly and concretely as I could, as I did in the passage I read when I had no idea of my weight and I tried to imagine myself as formless and without a body. So that's where I try, what I try to do at different points of the book. And, and you do so beautifully. You have coming out in LitHub, a really fantastic essay about toxic masculinity. And in that essay, you tell a story of a speech contest that you enter at your father's urging, and then your father imposing himself there beyond the realm of the body so that he is really acting as both editor of your writing, the body of your writing, as well as a kind of acting coach for your performance. And I wondered if you could just talk about that in relationship to how that may have stopped you from becoming the writer you later became. Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, he, he was the, uh, he was the incarnation of masculinity and success and so on. So while he wanted this speech contest to be something that we worked on together beyond letting me choose the topic, um, his idea of how it should be written, how it should be read, spoken, um, became entirely his. And ironically, I, end, I ended up winning the speech contest and I had the cup, which I received as the prize. I put it on my shelf and I hated that cup because I felt that there was nothing of me in it except my, you know, my voice, my trained voice um, that had spoken it, but I hadn't written it. I hadn't decided how to deliver it. All of those things were. Um, so there I carried inside me this, this editor, um, who I think probably in the end was a very good one, but who I resented so much and I couldn't get rid of that I just didn't want to write anything for years until I could get past it. And I tried to write poems. I tried to write other things. And I just couldn't, For I, I tried maybe for five years, seven years, and I just couldn't believe in any of it. So I just put it all aside and I said, you know, this voice is going to go away if I give it the chance. Um, I want to stay around books and 
keep involved in books as much as I can, but I want that voice to, to, to die out. I want that voice to become silent. And eventually it did. He lost interest in my writing anything. And, but it was only at that point that I could really felt free enough to set my own words down and question them in my way, not in his. John, for the listeners, I think they might be interested to hear how long that took, because many of us are silenced at different times, and we need to come back from that. How long was it? Uh, it was 24 years, David. It was a long, long time. And, you know, there are uh, many examples. I've become obsessed by writers who didn't write uh, for a long time, like Paul Valéry or George Oppen. Um, and, you know, people who, writers who ended up writing but didn't uh, for many years. And I always wondered what their story was. Um, but none seemed to be the same as mine. I, am, I don't know if you know about those two, but... Uh... I do, and they're extraordinary examples. One of my other questions has to do with the fact that you've written three wonderful, distinguished books of poetry, and what relationship did that writing have or might have had to you being able to write this skinny? Um, I think that um, as I relate in the book, I, uh, I would listen, my mother would play the poems of Dylan Thomas in the car as we were driving around in the countryside. So poetry was my, was really, my my first um, uh, my first language of writing, and so when I thought the time was right to write again, I thought I think that poems are where I should start, and and that's what I heard, and, and I started, and I found myself in the process of listening again, listening to poems again, listening to language again in that way. Um, but it took me a long time to get to the point where I felt um, I could, after my second collection, that I could try something different. And, you know, I started writing The Skinny as a joke. I mean, I just thought, how funny. I'll write the history of my weight. It's hilarious. And all my friends were amused by how little I weighed. My wife thought it was a, a challenge to her cooking. Um, everybody was amused. So I thought, well, this is just, and so I wrote draft after draft after draft until someone said, well, this is great, but you left out all the emotion. You need to put the emotion in it. So that, and that took a few more years. But anyway, so that was how um, I got from writing poems to writing prose again. Well, that's a great passage. And I think that so many, writers, young writers, older writers, are always asking themselves how to bring their own experience, past experience, family memories, and their current experience into language and into words. And I think that 
I just want to encourage the listeners to read the skinny as an example of a really exceptional, wise, and poetic way to look at the issues in one's own past and the relationships that those experiences create around those you love, those you might love and then love later. It's an extraordinary book, Jonathan. And I just want to thank you so much for the book, but for this conversation as well. Well, it's, it's, um, it's been, it took me a long time and it took me a long time to put the emotion back into it, to remember what I felt at these different places and also to write it as the boy, not to write it as the, as the adult. Um, because I, that was one of my guiding ideas. It, I didn't want to write it as a reminiscence. I wanted to write it from the boy's point of, point of view. But it's been so interesting having strangers begin to read the book as opposed to uh, friends and family who know some but don't know a lot of this material. And I have to say it's delightful to have strangers read the book without wincing, um, even on my behalf. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for the great questions and reading with uh, such interest and, and, and empathy, David. Always my pleasure, John. Well, thank you both so much for that conversation. It was such a joy to listen to and Thank you again to our guest, Jonathan Wells, for sharing the skinny with us. And thank you to David for your generous conversation. You can order your very own copy of the skinny at www.skylightbooks.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.